0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Alex Hoyer. This spring marks the two-year anniversary of the escape of the St. Louis Six, the brave steers who busted out of a local slaughterhouse and are now enjoying a peaceful pasture home. Local journalist Danny Wisentowski has pulled together an extensive oral history of the saga in this week's Riverfront Times, and he joins me in studio. Also joining us by phone in just a minute are two of the St. Louisans who played big roles in making sure that the Steers found a permanent refuge following their escape, Kelly Mano and Adam Brewer. But first, welcome to you, Danny. It's great to be here, Alex. Uh, I want to read the third paragraph of your story that's in this week's Riverfront Times. It goes, On March 30, 2017, a city of fractious humans watched in awe as animals took to the streets. In a way, it was the St. Louis version of O.J. Simpson's trip down the freeway in that white bronco. A city was riveted by the slow-motion spectacle, and seemingly everybody was rooting for the cows. First of all, great writing. Thank you. Uh, so- sounds like it could be staged in some way, uh, but refresh our memories on what happened two years ago.
1: So what happened was, um, you know, according to a police report that I obtained, you know, how did these six steer, um, you know, these are, they were described as cows, they were described as heifers. Uh, technically, they are neutered male uh, bulls, Um, they were being kept at this North City slaughterhouse um, called Star Packing, and uh, there may have been a thunderclap, there may have been something, but one of these animals kicks through a gate, charges through and makes it out into the streets of North St. Louis. And uh, the ringleader is really Chico. That's, yeah, that's what you know, even became apparent even before Chico had a name. This particular brownish red cow, um, bashed through an iron gate uh, that was you know, around a nursing home. And even while the other five were captured, you know fairly quickly, this particular cow, Chico, ends up running for something like five hours total and is sort of the sole Focus of this entire police hunt and pedestrians driving after him, and uh, he alone though manages to evade capture for hours and hours, and gains a name and and gains kind of a legend in the process. Why did you become interested in writing this story? You know, I was uh, you know I was been here at RFT for about six years, and so I was working on something that day. Um, you know, in 2017, and I think we had put something else up, but just the sense that everybody, like the moment you hear, like, do you know there are cows running around North St. Louis? Like, you are going to find a video of that. You are going to do whatever. And so there was this, this feeling of, you know, we were we'd all somehow woken up in the same theater watching the same show, and we all wanted to know, like, how did the cows escape? Where are they going? Uh, how do you even uh, attempt to corral uh, a large animal like this? Um, You know, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, But I think, you know, the the overwhelming sense that everyone wanted to see where this would go, everyone wanted the cows to be okay, it it showed this moment where what was kind of this public entertainment became something more where we weren't just, I want to see this exciting action movie end. It's like, I want to see these cows survive, and I want to see them be okay. Mm
0: -hmm. And this incident certainly captured the attention of uh, two people who are on the phone with us, Kelly Mano and Adam Brewer. Kelly, let me start with you. How did you first hear about what was going on with these uh, escaped cows?
2: I was sitting in the carpool line, picking up my daughters from elementary school when, you know, the Facebook Live came across my phone. And I just thought, oh, my God, this is insane. I have to get down there. So I picked up my daughters and ran them to a babysitter and and literally headed straight there from their school.
0: And what about you, Adam Brewer? Uh, Similar to
3: Kelly, but on Twitter. It was uh, David Carson's Twitter feed. i had seen the same thing and just kind of, I mean, I didn't step in immediately. So I kind of was watching things play out. And then um, Ashley Lindsay um, did a story for the um, post-dispatch that Farm Sanctuary was going to be taking the cows. Them at that point, um, I decided to do fund GoFundMe to kind of benefit Farm Sanctuary.
0: And and we'll get to the story of of where where the cows ended up. They they didn't end up at, at Farm Sanctuary. They ended up someplace else. But what what is it, Adam, that motivated you from just being one of thousands of St. Louisans who are watching this to uh, participating in an effort to raise money for, uh, to save them?
3: Um, well, yeah well actually it's kind of kind of um does revolve around like the city aspect um so sort of it was again like okay well the rescue is going to take these guys you know help with funding and stuff um i've been involved with dog rescue for a long time so obviously you know the the costs and everything that goes into it but I've, it's just it was it kind of to me struck me as you know um somebody involved with animal rights to sort of give people in the city because again the interest was i mean right off the bat you could see the interest was off the chain so um Just sort of give the people that were interested and the people that weren't, um, you know, just sort of the sense that, like, because obviously once you do a fundraiser, you're going to see the monetary amount, um, and I knew that would be high. Um, So just to sort of give people a sense that, like, hey, the lives of animals are a reflection of, you know, the lives of all the millions of other cows that, you know, are going through similar things. And let's show people, you know, in the city that, you know, we do have a strong, you know, presence of people interested in um, animal rights and animal welfare.
0: And, Kelly, one of the wildest parts of this story is that uh, you obtained, I don't know if it's something you you own, but a, <laughs> a T-Rex uh, costume, <laughs> and, and you uh, donned this T-Rex costume and uh, made a sign. Uh, what what yes. did the sign say?
2: I think the sign said, um, don't slaughter, send to rescue. Uh, because while a lot of people are watching this from their homes, I was down there with the cows, or at the time Chico was the only one left, so I wasn't monitoring the internet or anything starting because I was literally, these cows were covering miles of time. So I would drive my minivan, stop, park out, chase the cow, drive it, stop, park out, chase the cow, and I was trying to get the attention of the police officers or the rescues to find out where do these animals come from and where are they going. I thought maybe a truck had overturned on the highway, but all I knew was that these animals are running for their life. I didn't know where they came from, but I knew they didn't want to go back. And after the first or second time of trying to chase this this cow and trying to get the cop's attention, I remembered that I have this giant inflatable dinosaur costume in the back of my trunk that I keep in there just for no real good reason other than I'm not a very good grown-up. And so <laughs> I was like, screw it. I'm putting on the dinosaur costume. And then I found one of my kids. Student council posters in the back of the van flipped that over and wrote the sign. Ran back out in my dinosaur costume, and finally everybody paid attention to me and you know were talking to me.
0: That's uh, that's quite a story. Uh, yeah, Danny, let, let me turn to you. There was a period of time where it was when it was uncertain
1: what would happen to the cows. Uh,
0: can can you describe what was going on during that time?
1: You know, I think. You know, in my reporting, what, what ended up um, becoming clear is there was so much going on, not just like the days after the escape, but like the, the day exactly after that next Friday. And even that night, this is when, um, you know, as, as Kelly can tell you, when she's trying to call the slaughterhouse owner, this is when Adam uh, is soon also trying to call the slaughterhouse owner. He is being swamped, uh, from my understanding, with calls and offers and demands um, it was overwhelming for him. Yeah, and, you know, I I, re- I tried uh, quite a lot to try to talk with uh, the owner of the slaughterhouse directly, um, but what we do have are his Facebook posts and things like that, and you can kind of get a sense of the messages that he was receiving. You know, just to be clear, you know, this is a, a slaughterhouse that specializes in halal meat, um, and he was unfortunately getting a lot of um, Islamophobic, um, you know, kind of comments and, you know, comments that were really saying, you know, you're a monster. What are you doing? And so you know, for those who are you know, trying to create this rescue to try to create some kind of negotiating bond with this guy, um, they're immediately coming into a situation where the kind of social media sphere of public shaming and public activism is kind of working against those who are trying to save these animals. Uh,
0: public shaming in, in what way?
1: Even the sense of people saying, you know, this this slaughterhouse in North City is, you know, going to murder these cows, or, uh, you know, this, you know, and, and again critiques that would get into kind of racial or ethnic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, stereotypes of the type of owner this guy was, um, you know, which wasn't fair, obviously, um, but there was it it brought in so much interest that, you know, from my understanding, just for the people who actually had a a serious, uh, substantial, you know, means to save these cows, they had to, you know you know, show that they actually were serious and they, they weren't trying to uh, cheat this guy and they were gonna kind of deal with him in a, in a level way. And as you point out in the article, there were plenty of people who are meat eaters who were donating
0: to these GoFundMe campaigns to, uh, to save them.
1: Yeah, and I think that was something that, that Adam had told me that stood out most is that most of the people who reached out to him and donated were, were acknowledging that they were meat eaters.
0: Right. And and there's uh, plenty more in the article about some controversy about where the cows would go. But uh, eventually, Kelly and Adam, you get together on uh, a place to donate the money to. And we're going to talk with uh, the proprietor of of that outfit in just a moment. But can can you tell me... Uh, how you settled on on this particular um, place to send the cows. Uh, let me go to you, Adam.
3: Yeah, well, um, actually, if you go back to the original GoFundMe and you look um, kind of at the timeline, around Saturday, um, like you said, things with Omar you know, had been contentious, but um, around Saturday, me and him had come to the agreement um, that we had found a foster home in Wildwood and that we were going to be taking them Sunday or Monday, at that point kind of regardless if we had found um, you know a rescue at that point or not we were gonna use the funds in the GoFundMe at that point for, you know, fencing and vetting, fooding, you know, everything and then we'd continue to fundraise if need be. So that was the plan, you know, Saturday was that we were gonna be getting them out, you know, I had his word that they were safe, you know, everything like that. So then um, Sunday I got a call from Kelly Mano who um, had mentioned her friend Kelly Backus, um, wife of David Backus was interested in getting General Barn involved and then um, that ended up being the case. So then at that point again I put on the GoFundMe kinda of to poll everybody, you know, who had donated to sort of see, you know, if that would be something they'd be interested in. So then I spoke to General Barn, um, kind of got comfortable at that point, um, to, you know, go that route. Talked to Omar, did a three way call with him, told him that, you know, General Barn Omar is in charge of the point. slaughterhouse yeah yeah i talked to omar at that point told him plans had kind of change that instead of going direct to foster because again at the point they were going to foster we had transport and everything set up and then general barn came in and you know did their own transport but at that point i told omar things had changed um jay would then be flying in and would be meeting omar um because at that point my friend uh, sasha and jake were going to be meeting omar at the slaughterhouse um while i came into town because i was in uh chicago with my mom's at that point um so then things kind of changed. Uh, Jay came in, and um, yeah, at that point I agreed to release my funds to them, and that that would be where the cows would be going based on the feedback that i gotten from donors.
0: Great. And uh, Kelly, we're running short on time, but are, are you sure. happy with the end result as as it is now?
2: I'm very happy. A- any result that, that ends up with cows getting hugs on Sunday, I'm absolutely thrilled with. It sucks that we lost spirit, but you know the general barn did everything they could, and and like you said, Omar was not easy for any of us to deal with, the general barn included. Um, and so I think they did it the best job that they could do, and really the back is just pulling it all together, um, connecting the dots for us, and kind of taking the weight off our shoulders because it, it it became a story that was even bigger than itself, and it was getting really heavy for me and Adam to carry.
0: Absolutely. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we need to move along, and uh, we're going to take a break. We'll uh, continue the conversation with the RFT's Danny Wissantowski. Thanks so much, Kelly Mano and Adam Brewer, for being with us. Sure. Thanks. All right. We'll Thank continue you. our conversation about the oral history of the St. Louis Six in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back. We're talking with the Riverfront Times' Danny Wissentowski, who has written an oral history of the six uh, steers who escaped from a St. Louis slaughterhouse two years ago. Also joining us now over the phone is Ellie Lacks, founder of Gentle Barn. That's the organization that ultimately made a home for the St. Louis Six, and that home is about an hour southwest of St. Louis. Ellie Lacks, thanks for being here.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Can you describe what Gentle Barn is?
4: Sure. Um, The General Barn is home to animals rescued from severe abuse or neglect. We bring them in. We rehabilitate them with vet care and a whole slew of alternative methods. Um, Once healed, if we can find a home of their own, great in a timely manner. If not, we give them sanctuary with us for the rest of their lives. And when they're ready, we partner with them to host groups of at-risk inner-city special needs kids as well as school groups and private tours to um, help people recover from their own stories and to connect children with the love of nature and animals.
0: To recover from what kinds of stories?
4: Well, we work with kids in probation, in foster care, um, in drug and alcohol rehab centers, living in the inner city. We work with war veterans, domestic violence shelters, victims of sexual assault. So we basically have a whole barnyard full of animals that have survived their own set of circumstances, and then we bring in people that are trying to survive their own recovery and, go, and cling to their own resilience, and the people coming in, no matter what they're going through, whether they're scared or lonely or sick or battered, whatever they're going through, there's an animal in the barnyard that mirrors their story. So through hearing their story being told through someone else, by seeing that someone else thrive, it gives them hope and inspiration that they can recover from their own stories and find happiness like the animals in the Gentle Barn.
0: Now I understand that there was a $400,000 GoFundMe campaign that that helped set up the Gentle Barn uh, here in Missouri, but other than that, how do you keep the place running?
4: By the generosity of the community, actually. There's so many people in the community that love animals and wish that they could help more or do more or have more animals, but it's not in their wherewithal. So for them to partner with us, fund us so that we can do the work, they get to feel like they're saving animals and doing good in the world while we're feeding, cleaning, and taking care of the animals that they're funding. So it's a wonderful partnership. And uh, every day we're looking to the community to help us so that we can even save more lives.
0: And when did you become aware of the of the St. Louis Six, the the cows that had escaped the slaughterhouse in North St. Louis?
4: Yeah, I watched it on the national news along with everybody else and was so scared for them and watching them run through the streets. Uh, it was awful to watch, was so worried about them. Then when they got sent back to the slaughterhouse, you know, we, we wanted them to live just like everybody else. And then when the Omar kind of announced that he would be willing to hold them for a couple of days and let a sanctuary come, we thought for sure a Midwest uh, local sanctuary would come and save them and that there would be a happy ending. But the days passed by, and there was no one saying that they would come and get them. So finally, when Omar announced that he was going to slaughter them the next day, our phone started ringing. Kelly Backus made a personal plea for us to save them. And my husband got on a plane and got there in time to pull them out and ultimately get them to the gentle barn. Mm -hmm.
0: Danny Wisentowski, steer are slaughtered every day, thousands of them, I'm sure. Why is it that you think... uh, other than maybe it is just the video but why are these six why did they capture the attention when this is something that that goes on all the time
1: you know, i think what was unique about this is that you know in a debate over you know what is the proper way to ethically you know relate to animals uh, how much should you eat is you know uh, how, how do you split those hairs what this event did was it put kind of everyone on the same level initially everyone started from that ground zero where they were like the cows should survive. The ones that I watched, you you know, juking around police cars, the ones that spent hours, there was this communal emotional investment and empathy in watching animals that wanted to live do that. And I think, you know, although, yes, like these cows are not unique in the sense that there are others in slaughterhouses, you know, there was something special about the human experience of watching them be alive and be conscious and to act out, um, I think, instincts that everyone can see as reflective of conscious beings, of things that want to remain alive. And I think that's why there were so many, even as meat eaters, even as, you know, I remember talking to Kelly Mano, uh, is when she told me that when she saw these animals, when she sped down there and put on a T-Rex costume, she wasn't thinking about whether she had eaten a cheeseburger or not. And so I think what was special about this isn't so much as saying something about the cows, but this incident said something about us as people and the way that we rarely get to see animals doing this ki- these kinds of things um, because our experience with them is so um, kind of sharpened to either what we're buying in a fast food restaurant or the idea that this is taking place in, you know, we just imagine the factory, you know, doing what it has to do and out the other end comes our food and we hope that things are fine and that this is, you know done ethically. I think this kind of opened a window to both the mechanics of how food is processed and also the the lived experiences of what those animals are going through.
0: And uh, Ellie, how do you focus your efforts? Because I'm sure there are plenty of things that you'd like to do, but don't have the resources or the money to do them. So how do you pick what it is that you want to focus on?
4: Yeah, you know what? Um, yeah, if we had the financial resources right now, we would be in all 50 states. And you're right. Um, that's not possible in that mo- in this moment. And so basically, we have plans and we have strategy planning and board meetings where we have wishes and desires for fundraising campaigns. But at the end of the day, um, up until now for the last 20 years, these things kind of have a way of picking us. So, you know, I never thought that we would have a gentle barn in St. Louis, even though I did grow up here. Um, It wasn't on our radar. Mm -hmm. When we watched the cows escape, we thought that surely somebody else would kind of save the day. Um, But it kind of chose us, called us in to help. We got involved, and and now we have a gentle barn in Mm -hmm. St. Louis. So sometimes when you just kind of surrender and let the journey unfold, sometimes it unfolds for you.
0: (laughs) Right. Have you noticed a change in the way these animals have uh, have been living their lives, the the their mood, perhaps.
4: Yes, in the biggest possible way, um, we have been able to watch these cows recover from their trauma, from the way they were raised, from their fear of humans, into basically being puppy cows. And the recovery process is just like anyone's recovery process. If you if we're working with kids that are victims of abuse or sexual assault. Um, we're looking at people that have trauma, that have to learn to trust, that have to learn to forgive, that have to put their path behind them. And like any person, these cows went through the exact same process where at first they were very scared of us, Mm -hmm. but we had, it started with me for the first three months. And then I had volunteers and staff help me where we would have me or others in the barnyard every single day, uh, reading to them, singing to them, even taking naps with them, but just getting used to our coming and goings. And so after a while, they started kind of accepting that we were going to be hanging around and that Mm -hmm. no harm was going to come to them. And then we started incorporating cookies, where every time we we would come and spend time with them, we would leave cookies behind. And they very quickly realized that we were leaving them. So instead of waiting for us when we left, they started asking for the cookies when we arrived.
0: Well, which... well, uh, we are out of time, but uh, thank you so much, Ellie Lacks of uh, General Barn, for joining us and telling us about the General Barn. Uh, thank you so much for your time.
4: Uh, you're welcome. Come see them.
0: All right, and Danny Wisentowski of the Riverfront Times, thank you for writing this story, and thank you for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.